a British TV podcast with Chrissy and Ryan. News, reviews, what's on TV this week, DVD releases, and special features all about British TV. Hello and welcome to the British TV podcast, show number 69. Hurrah! We should do it like Bill and Ted do. Remember that? I don't know. Oh yeah, remember they say, pick a number, they go, they both say in unison, 69, dude! Oh, uh, you know Alex Winter, I don't know that he ever did any acting after the Bill and Ted. Yeah, he was in some movies. But he did, he moved into directing, but he went to film school at NYU right when my friend Bart was at film school there, so classmates, but he said they lost touch in L.A. I hear rumors that we'll do another Bill and Ted movie. Wow. Which seems a little hard considering <laughs> Keanu Reeves has got to be in his 40s now. Yeah, so presumably Alex Winter also aged at the same rate, so yeah. Yes. <laughs> Unless he's been cryogenically frozen for no, a number he hasn't. of years. I doubt it, but yeah. Well, I'm Ryan in Seattle. I'm Chrissy in Seattle. And this week's show, we have reviews, news, what's on British TV this week, shows running in the United States, DVD releases, and a feature on Spooks, a.k.a. Spooks. MI5. But it's more fun to say Spooks. Yes, and I will be referring to it as Spooks. I made a mistake a few weeks ago talking about an adaptation of Oliver Twist, which I said was by Ellen Davis. And he actually did the one... Andrew Davis. Andrew Davis, right. um, It was actually Alan Bleasdale. Oh, Bleasdale did it. Who did it. And then he didn't do anything again till this most recent ship um, sinking of the Laconia. He took 11 years between projects. So we were right. He'd been gone for ages. Well, he's a playwright mostly, isn't he? Yeah. But he did the adaptation of Oliver Twist that I love and own on DVD with Mark Morin and Robert Lindsay was by him. And he expanded the story because... Oliver Twist was, I believe, I'm sure somebody can correct me in an instant, but I think it was Dickens' second book. He was only 25, and it was written as a serial, and he kind of painted himself into some corners. So at the end, he threw in these, oh, well, Oliver, um, yeah, he had a half-brother. Yeah, that was it, and, you know, that sort of thing. And what Alan Bleestell did was flesh all these characters out and create a backstory and write it. So the the adaptation... And the DVD from the UK has an extra 40 minutes or so from the US version that they showed on PBS. It's, it's, um, oh, it's even longer. Oh, it's really long. It's something like eight hours long. Wow. Yeah. But I mean, longer than what the Americans mm-hmm. saw. Yeah. Oh. Why are we always shortchanged? I don't know, but um, I noticed. I'd read that, and then I was talking about it to a friend because I was going to loan him the DVD, and I found a clip on YouTube, and they even put in here that those of you with the US DVD, you'll notice this scene's missing, and... One that I just chose at random. So, well, I love it. But Andrew Davis did do an adaptation. I Gosh, I guess just it was more recently. I think it um, with Timothy Spall as Fagan. Ah, we're going to talk about Timothy Spall oh. next week. Okay. A little hint there. I saw The King's Speech. Mm-hmm. Have you seen that yet? No. It's great. Everything you've heard about it is true. Really, the writers on The Stranger were just up in a huff that they didn't think a speech about somebody who stutters and stops stuttering should be nominated for Best Picture because the story was so small. Are they kidding? That's what they... No, there were people miffed about it all all day long. It's the, very good movie. Nice period piece. Mm-hmm. Great acting. Yeah, Jeffrey Rush, Colin Firth, who's I've amazing. Liked Colin Firth forever. I've liked him since Another Country. Helena Bottom Carter, not playing the kind of role she normally plays... Uh, where she's kind of mm-hmm. a harridan kind of person, very quiet and subdued. And uh, as you say, yeah, got 12 Oscar nominations, more than any other film. 
if you like watching British TV, you, you would almost guaranteed to like the King's Speech. Okay. Well, I asked my mother if she wanted to see it because I noticed it was playing at the Big Picture downtown, and I've never been to that theater and wanted to. And she said, "Oh, I forgot to tell you. I guess I saw it a couple weeks ago. With she went with her best friend, their oh. movie buddy. So she beat me." Well, of course, the concerns about the uh, abdication of King Edward. Mm-hmm. Because he wanted to marry Wallace Simpson, and Wallace Simpson figures very largely in Any Human Heart and Upstairs Downstairs, both of which are coming to Masterpiece Classics. Uh, and in Any Human Heart, she's played by Gillian Anderson. Oh. And I have to say that in everything I've seen, well, these three, The King's Speech, Any Human Heart, and Upstairs Downstairs, Mrs. Simpson is always the villain. In fact, she is the archetypal person the Brits love to hate. I mean, first off, she's an American. That's always number one. Married woman, philandering with the king, tempts him off the throne, and she used to cavort with Nazis. I mean, all you need to do is she drowned puppies and you'd have the... They hate her more than Paul McCartney's ex-wife, huh? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, she never is shown in a very positive light. But the only thing I'd really know about her was she provides, did something kind of maternal with her husband that he had been missing in his upbringing, probably. And he liked that sort of mothering touch that she had over him, even as a wife. But I don't know much about it. Well, in Upstairs, Downstairs, uh, Bertie, who becomes King George, is mm-hmm. one of the characters, played much younger and without a stutter than Colin Firth. But he's friends of the main characters, and you see him several times. In fact, the miniseries ends with the abdication and him calling up the protagonist and saying, what do I do now? But it'll be interesting people watching him through the lens of knowing, well, wait a second, I thought he was a really bad stutterer. Well, that's interesting because sometimes people with a stutter or stammer, if they're reading something that's prepared, they're, they're fine. It's only when they're having to think up words at the same time that they can't quite synchronize it with the voice. I've noticed Steve Coogan on talk shows has quite a stammer. And yet he doesn't have it at all when he's on stage playing a character. Well, he improvised most of the trip, so mm-hmm. maybe they just edited around it. Of course, editing is what makes this podcast possible. I'll say that. (laughs) Well, there was lots of good stuff on TV last week. And let's start with something I'm pretty sure you might have watched, Being Human, right? No, I haven't watched it yet. Oh, no! I know, I know. I saw it was there. I was sort of wondering if I should have a Being Human loving friend over to watch the first one with me. I was toying with it, but I probably will give up and watch it. It's really good. Oh, good. Good, good. Very, I don't want to give any spoilers out because it's coming to uh, BBC America starting on February 19th. I feel like I've been waiting forever to see it because I didn't, I, I discovered it during the second series. So I had all these episodes to catch up on and then the drought. So it'll be good to see it. Worth the wait. It starts off out of the gate really, really okay, strongly and tons yeah. of guest stars. Well, they're in Cardiff, shooting in Cardiff now too so that they can double dip with the mill. And the Doctor Who special effects people, I know. Still so. not that many effects. It's no. still a character-based uh, thing. But uh, yeah, the first episode alone had Robson Green mm-hmm. uh, playing a werewolf. I remember when he used to be a really big name star. I mean, ITV had him under contract for years. He did Blood in the Wire, uh, Touching Evil. And here he is playing a minor supporting character as a werewolf in a you know supernatural series. Uh, Paul... He had a very popular one. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. he's good. I just, I was just like, wow, Robin, Robinson Green's in this. Uh, Paul Kay. Oh, I never don't like him. He's great. He's 
he's kind of gone punk and he played a, a similarly kind of creepy character on shameless last week who had lost his larynx and had to use one of those microphone things that you mm-hmm. hold up there. Right. So it's uh, two appearances he's made this week. And then Kai Owen from Torchwood had kind of a jokey sort of, you know, he's like two scenes, but you know, it's like, Oh, there's Kai Owen. Mm-hmm. An actress named Lacey Turner, who I'd not seen, but she's a big star in EastEnders and she plays the title part of Leah in the first episode, she okay. plays Leah, and she's really good. You're just like, wow. I, I looked her up to see, oh, have I seen her anything else? But basically, she's been in EastEnders. Well, there were some wondering if Annie was finally going to get a new outfit this season, since she has to wear the same thing all the time. But she, Lenora said she's perfectly happy with it, because in Sugar Rush, she was wearing the skimpiest of outfits, and they'd be shooting on the pier in Brighton in the middle of the night. And, <laughs> she, and you know, she's so tiny that she was just one big icicle. So Ugg boots and a nice soft flannel hoodie is happy. She makes her happy. Yeah, the press release that BBC America put out, they also mentioned that Nicola Walker and James Fleet are also okay. going to be in. BBC America is co-producing it, so I guess that's that American money allows them to spend get a little bit better and get some sort of name guest actors to, to fill out the roles. Well, it's fun spotting the name actors, but the Brits are just such good actors. All your so-called jobbing actors are wonderful. The one thing that we've talked about a few times, the day Britain stopped, mm-hmm. they were all... the. None of them were name actors, and they were exquisitely good. I saw a few things this week, though, that were... I didn't recognize That's a lot of the actors. Okay. But in this case, though, they clearly were reaching out to people that would mm-hmm. be familiar to the TV audiences. So, yes, third season of Being Human is doing great and be here in less than a month. And then the British Comedy Awards. Did you watch those yet? No, I watched all the the five specials that Bill Bailey hosted. The Comics Choice. Yep, yeah, I, I showed my mother a few of them the other day when I was over there, but really I haven't good, watched the awards yet. I, I started Darren Brown's books. I've been reading a bit this week. And reading? Was, yeah. Print is dead. And I was putting stuff on eBay to sell, so you know, I had less TV time than usual. Well, I, I did watch the British Comedy Awards, mm-hmm. and uh, Jonathan Ross was a good host as always, and did not see that much blatant drunkenness going on. It was held in the Indigo 2, which is right next to the O2, so it's not the big old, the giant arena, which formerly was known as the Millennium Dome, but it's a venue next to it. It was kind of like a big theater. And so the upper balcony was the general public was able to come, mm-hmm. and then on the floor with the tables were the, all the celebrities and nominees. Miranda Hart won three yep. awards. Including People's Choice, I read. Yeah. Yep, they had a, a you could phone in and, and call in. Best New TV Comedy Show and Best Comic Actress. So her star is really on the rise. In fact, I saw an interesting defense of her by David Baddiel. People were saying, oh, she's just a tall actress who falls over. And he's going, no, she's funny. She's funny in the way that Morgan and Wise were funny or Tommy Cooper. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she cannot not be funny. Well, she knocked around a lot of years. You know, we first saw her in the 90s with little bits and pieces here on Smack the Pony, which is getting back together. I saw they're going to do a stage for Terrific. I saw that at a comedy festival. Maybe she'll get to be in something. There's something to be said for by working your way up to success. Well, she's got success in spades right mm-hmm. now. Yeah, they gave a lifetime achievement to Roy Clark, who, and I was like, mm-hmm. Skip past this part, because I hate to say it, but I've never been impressed by any Roy Clark comedy, and that includes Keeping Up Appearances, Open All Night, and 
blasting some more wine. Keeping up appearances is that's the one thing everybody says. Oh, keeping up appearances if you say you're into British television. No, I've never watched that. Contemporary, but there we go. And Russell Brand won a uh, lifetime achievement or some not a lifetime mm-hmm. achievement, but but an outstanding thing in comedy. And unfortunately, he had to send a tape speech. A friend of his was sick, and uh, he did this like five minute rambling thing while showing kind of a photo stat of the award. But one of the things he said was, "I worked out a way of ripping off BBC iPlayer as if I haven't already done enough damage to that great institution already." <laughs> Oh, I did watch the Nevermind the Buzzcocks he was on. I did That was another thing I had to watch right away this week. I do like Russell Brand. I do. Well, he's over here making movies mm-hmm. now. So yeah, other award winners included uh, the children's series Horrible Histories, which was the upset winner for Best Scotch Comedy. It's a kind of low-budget program mm-hmm. on CBBC. Yeah. I, I think I need to watch this. Where they... yeah. And again, t- your jobbing actors. I didn't recognize anybody in the episode I saw. They but, do historically um... accurate mm-hmm. recreations for kids. And it's kind of done on the cheap, but it's, and they're, you know, obviously little funny bits and things. So, yeah, we should check out Horrible Histories. Yeah, it, it is kind of cartoony. If I don't know if on my Eddie Azard YouTube site you ever watched the little films he did with... Um, the Euro trash guy. Antoine, Antoine de Cone. Yeah, the two of them did all these little films in the 90s to get school children interested in learning to speak French with very cartoony sets. That's sort of what it reminds me of, a bit like that. Yeah. But about history instead of French. Well, Top Gear started its new season and uh, with a new Stig, which, of course, they claimed was only 34 days old, having been born in the Christmas episode <laughs> when they went to Bethlehem. We got to see a Porsche versus a falling beetle. Hmm. Richard Hammond claimed that this Porsche was, new Porsche was just a really great car. And everyone else saying, no, no, it's just a beetle with a new engine and a new top. And he goes, so they had to do a race with a beetle. And then on the racetrack, of course, he, he smoked it. And they said, well, now we're going to try to do, race it over a mile. He's going to go on ground. They're going to take the beetle up a mile in a helicopter and drop it. So can he travel a mile before the beetle drops a mile? Oh, jeez. And what was it? Did it work? No, he didn't. He was let down by sand. It was done yeah. on salt flats, and he couldn't get quite the traction that he, he needed to get there. So spoiler there, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, BBC America began running these new episodes on February 7th. The star of the Reason We Price Car was John Bishop, who really yeah. has become a household name the last 18 months. He was saying... You know, he was doing comedy gigs where 14 people would show up. He'd have to buy them all drinks. And he'd say, oh, I'm going to be on telly next week. They'd go, yeah, right. But it was, you know, he's, he, he made it on to... Have I got news for you, right? Well, he was the host of that. But before that, he did the comedy road show and a couple of things on Channel 4 and stuff like that. And suddenly he became big, 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 big. And he had uh, John Bishop's uh, Britain. It was funny. I have a coworker whose daughter married a Brit and lives there, so she came over with her in-laws. And upon hearing my about my podcast, he invented on the spot a quiz for me. And John Bishop, he was describing him, and I knew who it was, but I couldn't pull out the name. This was a few months ago, but I could just envision him on "Have I Got News for You" and everything else because I couldn't get the name right. And he won Best Male Comedy Breakthrough Artist as well. Mm-hmm. And he, let's just say, had a very good lap in the reasonably priced car. Tom Cruise will not be happy. Uh-oh. So, yeah, it's a really good year for John Bishop. 
Then we had 10 O'Clock Live, the new topical news show that's trying to do for Britain what Daily Show does here. And, of course, it's David Mitchell, Lauren Laverne, Charlie Brooker, and Jimmy Carr. And three or four of those people are stand-up comics, or at least comedians. And Charlie Brooker's not. I mean, he's a presenter. Yes. And I sort of... If you watch carefully, you notice that he rarely contributed anything that wasn't scripted. You know, they do a roundtable thing where they'd be battering things. I've pointed that out before. I noticed he wasn't as lively on the end of the year, on the, what what do we like it, Big Fat Quiz. Yeah. As as his own shows. But he's not a professional comedy. Right. He's a writer. Yeah. And, you know, likes working from a script. Like me, on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not faulting Charlie Brooker. He does what he does very, very well. Yes, it's true. He's just not an extemporaneously funny guy. That's not his thing. Not everybody is. But boy, when he gets into something, he's great. And we'll talk a little later about his new show, How TV Ruined Your Life. Ah, I'm going to watch that when I get home. I saw that was on today. and I've a, seen it. Oh, okay. Well, you can tell me about it then. Yes, we'll talk about it when it comes up here. Mm-hmm. And then Hattie. Lovely Ruth Jones from Gavin and Stacey starred in this BBC4 biopic about the private life of comedian Hattie Jakes. Hattie was best known in Britain for appearing in many of the Carry On films, usually as the matron, and in the long-running comedy program Sykes, along with Ernie Sykes. She was married to actor John LeMessier, best known for being in Dad's Army. He's played by Robert Bathurst, seen these days in Downton Abbey. You might remember him from Cold Feet. He was one of the couples there. and My dad's the Prime Minister. Tons of stuff. Very familiar TV veteran. It's the early 1960s, and... Hattie spends her days working on carry-on cabbie and then coming home to her often unemployed husband and two sons and cooks them dinner. She also puts on huge Christmas spreads. We get to see two Christmases with her. They have a boarder who lives in the attic and babysits the boys. She then meets John Schofield, a young used car salesman played by clean-shaven Aiden Turner from Being Human. Ooh, hubba hubba. You're surprisingly easy to find. I'm very difficult to miss. Can you stop doing that as a favor to me? Why would I do you any favors? You know, I'm not really used to chasing women. <laughs> I'm not being... Big-headed? I just don't have to. So, this is me being chased, is it? No. This is you being hunted. You... Step out of the cloud. I'm on your trail. Take Schofield sweeps Hattie off her feet and they begin having an affair. Soon Schofield is the new boarder living in the attic right underneath La Messier's nose. So she's got two Johns. Mm -mm. Hattie and Schofield continue their affair even after they're discovered one night by Le Messier. But Hattie still loves her husband and can't bear to have to choose one man over the other. So an arrangement is made. Le Messier discreetly moves into the attic while Schofield gets the bedroom with Hattie. All this to prevent scandal which would ruin Hattie's career. Schofield gets it right when he says he doesn't understand posh folks. 
Hattie eventually arranged for her husband to date and marry her best friend, and he even agrees to fall on his sword and let himself be accused of adultery so Hattie can get a divorce without it seeming her fault. These extraordinary events are chronicled in Hattie's authorized biography, which the public didn't discover until years later. This TV movie dramatized this unusual situation in a straightforward manner with excellent performances from each of the actors. I'm just watching this and it's just going, I can't believe this. Mm -hmm. Only in Britain. It was all very proper and dignified. And (laughs) (laughs) These are famous people who were well known to the public. And then Baker Boys. This new drama is only available on BBC Wales on Sunday nights. It is. Someone did tell me on Twitter that it is available on the iPlayer, though. It's set in a small town and centers around the employees of a factory-sized bakery. We meet man-child Owen, whose younger sister is about to get married to his best friend. Owen's ex-wife, Sarah, is played by Torchwood's Eve Miles, and they have a 15-year-old daughter with cerebral palsy. But the economic downturn hits the town as the international conglomerate that owns the bakery goes into bankruptcy and everyone is suddenly laid off. Some of the workers are former coal miners who have seen this all before, how a community dependent on one business can be devastated when it closes. Mortgages still need to be paid and children supported, and how will they be able to do it on £65 a week of unemployment benefit? Baker Boys is co-written by Helen Rayner, formerly the script editor on Doctor Who, and Russell T. Davis is credited as a consultant on the series. It has several appealing characters, although one gets the feeling that things will get worse before they get better. Because Helen famously wrote the Daleks in Manhattan, but don't mm-hmm. hold that against her. Andrew Garfield, he was in it, but his character didn't really, he seemed like just despair. He didn't really seem to matter at all in the whole story. He was just kind of this kid hanging around. <laughs> well, he's, he's Spider-Man now. Mm-hmm. In the first 10 minutes, it introduces you to this huge flock of characters, like everybody in the factory and uh, Owen's relationship with Sarah. You know, they're obviously estranged now. She's living with somebody else. Um, the relationship with the daughter, who I assume is played by an actress with cerebral palsy. She's very appealing as well, and just but being a very typical 15-year-old teenager that, you know, I hate you all, kind of Kevin mm-hmm. <laughs> sort of thing. So, uh, yeah, it's good, and, but apparently only suitable for the Welsh. So it's Baker Boys. And then Land Girls. This afternoon series on BBC One centered around city girls who worked on rural farms during the war, and it returned for its second season last week. It was run Monday through Friday. I watched the second season opener, and while I was very intrigued by the setting, the actual execution was spoiled by several elements. The first was the evil postmistress. She's sort of the nemesis of the farmer played by Mark Benton. Mm-hmm. Uh, was I supposed to take her seriously as a character? When she snuck in to poison the pig, I thought I might be watching a children's program or maybe a Christmas pantomime. You know, the music would seem to suggest that whenever she showed up, there's always ominous music to let you know she's evil. And then Raquel Cassidy's character of Diana Granville was none too subtle. She was the wife of Jack D in Lead Balloon. Yeah. And she also played a rather wry producer in Moving Wallpaper with Ben Miller. Mm-hmm. And they were, of course, with uh, the Americans are living at the manor house because, of course, they're over there and lots of dodgy American accents. Yeah, the entire series is more melodrama than drama, just not to my taste. You know, I normally like everything. And I just, I thought, wow, this is really badly done. I hate to say, did not like Land Girls. 
But uh, I had a friend on uh, Facebook get on there, and he uh, he defended the show. He said both he and his wife liked it, although basically they said they called it kind of a placeholder until Being Human came back. <laughs> and he described it as cheeseburger television as opposed to caviar. Oh. So, But, you know, there are people out there who like Land Girls. It just it, it didn't work for me. I'd much rather be watching Lark Rise to Candleford. Well, this week on Twitter, let's see, what did I say? Well, I updated my webpage with the ongoing list of American remakes of British shows, because in the last week we've had Being Human, Shameless, and Skins. I watched the second episode of Shameless, but I don't think I'll watch any more. The original stands up so well. I've decided the thing about remakes is it's kind of like watching the road version of a movie that you're really familiar with. You know, you kind of like, you get this deja vu, I've seen this before. And yet, you don't really recognize who the actors are. They don't do it the way you're used to doing it. And I, you know, I feel that about Shameless. I feel the same way about Being Human. The Sci-Fi Channel ones, it's not bad, but it's doing material that's, for me now, a couple of years old. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I kind of prefer the, British, the original British actors. But if you've never seen the British version, eh, the one on Sci-Fi, you know, they're not ruining the show. It is, it is the show, for better or worse. And it's... Uh, Kind of a departure for them because usually they tend to do, you know, jackboot science fiction, hard mm-hmm. sci-fi stuff. Although they were the ones that put Darren Brown on the air for six episodes, which was always so strange yeah. four years ago, which went with kind of a, not didn't really do much. Well, they've had good luck with shows like Eureka and Warehouse 13, a little more mm-hmm. down to earth, although you know, kind of more fantastic. Well, Being Human certainly is very fantastic as well, but we'll see how that does. But again, you know, we've got the UK one just running on all cylinders here in this third right. season. And, you know, at this point, I know what's going to happen in the plot. So I'd, why why would not watch the old ones again? It's <laughs> been there, done that. But that's just me. You can follow us on Twitter at Brit TV Podcast. So news. Despite a call for secrecy from the producer, apparently there will be a new season of Red Dwarf. Craig Charles, as he often does, spilled the beans during a radio interview, revealing that filming is scheduled to begin in November on a new series of episodes that will again be shown on Digital Channel Dave, presumably starting in 2012. As with most Red Dwarf news, it must be taken with a grain of salt considering the number of false starts that have announced over the years. Though considering the success of the Red Dwarf specials shown over Easter 2009 had for Dave, it's certainly not beyond the realm of possibility that they are keen to make some more. One of the things that was mentioned was they would go back to filming in front of a live audience and people were, oh, what about spoilers? I don't think Red Dwarf's really dependent on huge plot twists. I mean, you know, unless someone's going to sit there and, and beat for beat tell you every joke that's going to be going on, you know, people will watch it. It's not a soap. Well, what's on TV for the week of January 26th through February 1st? Let's find out. Uh, Wednesday, the National Television Awards 2011 are on ITV1 as voted on by the public. Carpool on Dave has guests Tim Vine and Dune McKitchen, who swam the English Channel in 1997. Because a lot of people have fussed over David Williams being the first celebrity to cross. And actually, she was known. She'd been on the day-to-day and some other things then when she did it. I don't know if it was in support of a charity or not, but I do know she made it across. And fewer than 700 people have actually finished, although 10 times that have started, so... And she still likes to swim in all weather, outdoors, in ponds. Because there was an interview with the Smack the Pony girls, and they were making fun of her for swimming with spiders and her hair and things like that. But that's her regime, and she has the beautiful body that goes with it, that's for sure. 
Now, like we said, the Spack the Pony people are reuniting Yay. for a comedy festival. Thursday, ITV1's Kidnap and Ransom concludes. The producers have learned from watching 24. There's always another plot twist to keep things going. They go, oh, everything's fine. Like, oh, something else happens. Come Fly With Me continues on BBC One. That might be the last one because I've shown five already. It's number six, but yeah. I didn't look to see if that was the last one. And Not Going Out continues on BBC One. 10 O'Clock Live is on Channel 4 with guests Alistair Campbell. Pretty big name guest. Mm-hmm. David Mitchell did okay with the, I think it was an education secretary. They were talking about the fact that uh, students have to pay for university. I didn't realize the university was free in Britain if you qualify. It was up till now, and now, of course, they're asking them to pay. And mm-hmm. You don't become a government minister in Britain without being very good at handling the media and being able to make your talking points and make your policies sound like they're very rational and, and well-considered. And But David tried his best. Meanwhile, Skins returns to E4, the popular teen drama that has an all-new cast this year. You might have seen that MTV's American Remake has stirred controversy for using underage actors in sexy situations. Although I'm sure MTV is laughing all the way to the bank. The first episode got huge ratings. The second episode, mm, not as much, mm-hmm. but as P.D. Barnum said, there's no bad publicity. Friday, Hustle continues on BBC One with guest star Dennis Lawson. The only man to survive three Star Wars battles. <laughs> Good old Wedge. Fast and Loose continues on BBC Two. The Graham Norton Show on BBC One has guests Kate Hudson and John Cleese. Cleese is going to take his live touring show to Britain starting in May. We, of course, saw him. Did you come when he was no, in Seattle? Oh, I okay. Didn't. Well, I saw him in Seattle. On Saturday, Primeval continues on ITV One. Sunday, Lark Rise to Candleford continues on BBC One. Wild at Heart is on ITV One. Top Gear rolls ever onward on BBC Two. And our favorite Being Human continues on BBC Three. That Sunday Night Show continues on ITV One. Monday, The Birth of Britain finishes on Channel Four. Silent Witness has another two-part mystery starting on BBC One. And Episodes continues on BBC Two. Alan Carr, Chatty Man is on Channel 4 with guests Billy Piper, Usher, the cast of Being Human, and Duran Duran. Billy is pr- promoting a new season of Secret Diary of a Call Girl. Um, yeah, I did read that they were going on for a fourth series. I wonder if David Dawson's going to be in it as well, because he was added last season, and I love him. I've been watching him in anything that he does lately. What would I have seen him in? He was in the, um, Jane Horrocks did a special called Gracie, playing Gracie Fields, and he played her long-term pianist. He was just in a special about Coronation Street, about the road to Coronation Street. Oh, which character was he? The main character. Oh, he played, The producer um, who was sick on the first day it was on, and... The writer. Right, and he was, um, in the, the call girl, he married Bambi, who was Billy's friend, and, um... Does a lot of theater. He went to RADA. He got in really young, because RADA is known for telling the youngsters, oh, you need a little more life experience, a little more doing regional plays, audition again in five years. But he had started so early, he'd already had plays put on by the time he was 17 that they they let him in quite young. Well, someone to watch out for. Yep, he's great. And, of course, Lenora Crishlow and Billy Piper did an early, early project for both of them together. Uh, Bella and the boys. Yes. So that'll be fun. They'll get a little reuniting there. 
Tuesday, Silent Witness concludes its two-part mystery on BBC One. Taggart is on ITV One. Charlie Brooker's How TV Ruined Your Life on BBC Two on how TV has the capacity to infuriate people of all ages. So yeah, I did see what the first episode. He, as usual, skewers television tropes using archival footage, you know, him ranting at the TV, and then making some exaggerated parodies. Mm. And Kevin Eldon popped up in one. That's always welcome. Yes. Coming of Age continues on BBC Three. And Tuesday finishes with Shameless on Channel Four. In the United States, on BBC America, Wednesday reruns The Tudors. And Friday, Law & Order UK. Saturday, Prime Evil continues, and it's followed by The Graham Norton Show. Top Gear is on Monday. The third season of Merlin continues Friday on Sci-Fi. On Showtime, Episodes continues on Sunday. Most PBS stations have the conclusion to Downton Abbey. DVD releases. The Agatha Christie Hour Set 2 contains five stories. Magnolia Blossom, The Mystery of the Blue Jar, The Red Signal, Jane in Search of a Job, and The Manhood of Edward Robinson. Hmm. Pie in the Sky, Series 4. This BBC mystery series stars Richard Griffiths from the Harry Potter films as a detective inspector who also runs a restaurant. You ever watch that show? No. I've seen a picture of him. Uh, with the, a pie. Samantha Janis was the uh, hostess in the first season. and But I remember watching it going, this is like a Smith & Jones parody, The Detective <laughs> Chef. <Yeah. laughs> just, it was a very odd program. Well, that's Pie in the Sky. The Shadow of the Tower, a 1972 BBC series about the Tudors prior to Henry VIII. Wish Me Luck, Series 2. The ITV drama about British women who become spies in France during the war. Uh, one of my favorite 80 shows. MI5, Volume 8, the 2009 season of the series known as Spooks in the UK. And our feature about it begins right now. Go, Ryan, go. It's only a year late, but the eighth season of Spooks is now available in the USA. I'm going to call it Spooks, even though years ago the decision was made by someone to rename an MI5 for overseas consumption. Uh, In France, it's called that. It was called that in Canada, and then after a couple of years, they switched back to calling it Spooks. But it's MI5 here. But I'm thinking of it as Spooks. Spooks is popular in much the same way 24 was, in that it combines drama with hard-hitting espionage action. And because each week without fail, you know exactly what you're going to get. I've said it many times, TV excels at delivering a familiar experience. People want more of what they already like. Spooks plays with these expectations in a perverse way, though. It's a formula predicated on surprise death scenes. In the history of dramatic television, outside of soap operas, of course, no TV series has ever killed many of its lead characters in such spectacular and unexpected ways as Spooks has. By making nearly anyone disposable, it heightens the suspense while becoming part of its formula of familiarity at the same time. 
Viewers might be disappointed by a season if at least one major character isn't bumped off. You don't know who, you don't know when, you just know someone isn't going to make it. Do you think of another show like that? <laughs> no, maybe, you know, it might. they might pull something once, but not repeatedly from a series. Yeah, it's just become almost the spooks cliche of, oh, another character died. An awful lot of people died in ER when they left versus leaving for other reasons. Well, George Clooney made it out alive. Yep. But the Anthony Edwards, he died. But he died of a long, Ill- lingering illness. Right. It wasn't sudden. Oh, but I mean, just it has a high mortality rate to work in the ER there. You get illnesses or you get knifed or you get this or that done. Uh, didn't um, Paul McCrane's character also bite the dust? I didn't really watch it very much, but I it seemed from what I knew that... A lot of people there died too, but yeah, you're right. Not suddenly. We all knew it was going to happen weeks in advance with them because it would have been only three more episodes with Anthony Edwards sort of thing. So yeah, that's the trouble with American trailers. They tend to be very uh, spoilerific. Mm -hmm. Of course, in Torchwood, they killed Susie the first episode and then brought her back just one more time. But she was in all the pre-publicity pictures and everybody in Adira Varma the actress. So people thought she was going to be a regular on the show. That's true. Yeah, I'm not saying that there haven't been sudden deaths right. on TV. I mean, that's a part of, of, of series television, but Spooks really makes a habit of it. I mean, it is part of the format of the show. <laughs> Spooks began in 2002, just six months after 24 debuted, and both in the shadow of 9-11, which is mentioned in the first episode. When I first started watching Spooks, I thought it was a bad guy of the week show with a different nationality or extremist group playing the part of villain to be overcome by superior British intelligence. It was different to have characters who, when you come down to it, are all professional liars. Spies don't wear MI5 t-shirts to the gym, after all. And we saw what happens when spies try to date civilians but must keep their careers a secret. That was one of the plot threads in the first season was a guy, his girlfriend didn't even know his real name. Hmm. Wow. Most of the cast of the first season of Spooks is long gone now and included Matthew McFadden, Keely Haas, David Oliolo, Jenny Agutter, and Lisa Faulkner. Faulkner's character of Helen was famously killed off in the second episode using a deep fat fryer, generating howls of protest. It was pretty graphic. Yeah, I was thinking, hmm. But it was after the watershed. But it established Spooks as a show where nobody was indispensable. And guest stars in the first season included Anthony Head and Hugh Laurie. Matthew McFadden will soon be seen on American screen, starring in Any Human Heart on Masterpiece Classic. And Keely Hawes went on to spend three years as the foil to Gene Hunt in Ashes to Ashes. Only Peter Firth, as Harry Pierce, the head of the counterterrorism department, has survived through all nine seasons of the series, although there have been times when he seemed to be a goner. Season 3 introduced Rupert Penry Jones as Adam Carter, who would become a long-running series regular and the main protagonist. Memorable female agents include Joe Portman, played by Miranda Rassen, and Roz Myers, played by Hermione Norris. After Adam Carter abruptly left the series, remember what I said about the book's formula, he was replaced by Lucas North, played by Richard Armitage. Armitage played Guy Gisborne in Robin Hood, originally one of the Sheriff Nottingham's main baddies, but eventually he joined the good guys, and it was revealed that he was Robin's brother. 
Armitage is a good leading man actor, and he is among many Brits, including Aidan Turner, who has been recruited to be in Peter Jackson's Hobbit movie. So he'll be on the big screen. Season 7 ended with a cliffhanger of Harry Pierce having been kidnapped by Russian intelligence. His former girlfriend, MI5 analyst Ruth Evershed, rejoins the show at the beginning of the 8th season. And Ruth's played by Nicola Walker, who had done comedy, she'd been in Stephen Moffat's Chalk, and drama like The Last Train. And as we said, she's going to turn up in Being Human. Mm-hmm. Malcolm Wynne Jones retires, a character leaves the series quietly to live out his life. And he's replaced by tech wizard Tariq. Like all TV spies, Spookson uses technology which borders on fantasy. Well, okay, let's call it ahead of its time. When you go back and watch something like Mission Impossible, its 1960s characters had gadgets and technology which at the time was science fiction. Seen from today's perspective, though, many, though not all, of what was used in Mission Impossible is now possible in the 21st century. This sort of out has always helped TV producers of spy shows by being able to have all sorts of whiz-bang gadgets which don't yet exist or work as efficiently today, but conceivably might be around in the future. Thus, Tariq on Spooks is able to hack any computer in seconds, tap into private security cameras, and monitor any phone in the world with just a few keyboard taps. Ah, phones were only that easy. You know, like a Torchwood, they do that all the time, but you know, Torchwood is sort of set in this where you have alien technology, mm-hmm. advanced things, but you know, we're supposed to believe that Spooks is in the here and now. And yeah. <laughs> but they have their magic scanners that can do this and all sorts of things and displays mm-hmm. and I'm always gonna laugh when they have some sort of incident has occurred and they and they have to do a briefing and they show you a three D schematic of a building and everything that's going in it. And I'm like, I'm sure that the CGI guys who've created this graphic probably spent a week doing it, and yet we believe this has been whipped up in less than an hour. It's kind of like the original TV series of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy with a computer. So supposedly computer animation was actually animated with screens and light because computers didn't look that way yet. I mean, just a couple years later, they could have just stuck it in a computer. Sort of like that, but even more so. Well, I think that sort of works in the Hitchhiker sort of way because maybe that's yeah. what the guide looks like. We don't know. Well, it was beautiful, but the, but it could have been... We, anybody could have duplicate what was done in the 1980, I guess, one Kitchhiker's Guide TV show. But they were actually having to animate it letter by letter using light and a black screen. And it yeah. was it, rather than actually just typing it on a computer and filming the results. So, Which would have looked about that good. Yeah. I mean, that was pretty much the state of computer digital technology in that they could do stars and they could do some very basic ray trace graphics. And that's yeah. pretty much it. I mean, think of the, the trench briefing in the first Star Wars that was that was computer animation, and that was the best they could do. And basically, the guy had like a week to do it right. because they said, "Oh, well, we need this when we're actually filming it because the actors have to have it in the projected in the background." And there was all sorts of mistakes, and they had edited around those. That's why it's been redone by uh, Adiwan, who with, does his little revisited works yes. on, but veering off comedy. There's <laughs> television there, but uh, yeah, Star Wars is filmed. In we like other things too. Yes. For some reason, the BBC quit using production titles in the listings, starting with the eighth season of Spooks. Prior to that, the episodes each had a title, even though it was never seen on screen. Spooks is also unique in that it's never broadcast any credits during its BBC One screenings. There's a montage after the teaser showing scenes of the characters and then the title Spooks. And then each episode ends with a freeze frame that is solarized and then closes to black. There's a next time trailer and then just a title card for the production company and the copyright. 
Viewers must check the Radio Times. Other listing programs are available. Or the BBC's website for actor credits. I can think of another show that's ever done that. That's true. But, of course, you kind of have to do that every way, the way they spin credits, buy and shrink them and show upcoming show attractions now in the corner. It does get harder to read them. And and even the BBC does its credit shrinking thing. Not quite as heinously as American TV does. No, never. But still, they go by very quickly. Uh, I guess uh, Dead Set's the only other one I can think of offhand. Uh, It didn't have any credits on screen either. Spooks is the logical 21st century successor to earlier series such as Sandbagers, a late 1970s ITV series about the spy game. Though Sandbagers concentrated more on the -the behind-the-scenes maneuvering than actual cloak-and-dagger operations, it was an attempt to bring the public into a fictionalized world of international spying that wasn't all James Bond heroics and gadgets. The A&E channel used to run spooks, although they had to edit the nearly hour-long episodes down to 45 minutes to fit in the commercials. After the first four seasons, they stopped showing it. BBC America tried it next, again having to edit out substantial parts of the plot in order to run commercials. And they didn't get past the fourth season either. A number of PBS stations are now running the series right from the beginning. Uncut, in widescreen, and in our area at least, they've reached the seventh season. You know, these days i got to forget, oh yeah, you can get British TV shows on PBS. Mm-hmm. You know, not the fastest to get them, but they do show things uncut. There's no commercial breaks. Support your PBS station, that's all i got to say. You know, cable may be faster, but, you know, these shows all end up on PBS eventually, and that is really the place to watch it. A little plug there. <laughs> well, thank you, Kyron. <laughs> The BBC, like Clockwork, has released year-old episodes of Spooks every January in the United States. Thus, this year, we are treated to the 2009 Season 8, and it's a pretty good bet that next year, Season 9 will be released. You know, they've been really far behind on the Doctor Who classic releases over here, although apparently this year they're going to rectify that, and we're going to get same-week releases uh, once they've caught up. Uh, for the rest of 2011, which would be kind of nice. Because it's been kind of weird that, you know, you could buy a Region 2 import mm-hmm. DVD and now they're going to getting it. So, who knows? Maybe they will speed up the releases of Spooks, although maybe just some bizarre reason why they sit on them for a year. I don't know. Not to give any spoilers here, but Sophia Miles, the girl in the fireplace herself, was introduced in the ninth season of Spooks as a private contractor named Beth Bailey, who's recruited by MI5. They're so casual about it, too. It's like they, they do the most tertiary background check on her. And they're like, okay, you're in. And they give her all the secret codes, and she runs around on the missions. And I'm like, that's all it takes to become a spy? Mm-hmm. So it, to me, it was painfully obvious that she was not to be trusted, although for the time being, she has served honorably. Because, yes, a number of characters have gone to the dark side as well. That's another way they uh, leave the show. The BBC has already announced that a tenth season of Spooks will be produced. A number of critics think the show has passed its sell-by date, but the constant infusion of new blood keeps the show fresh while sticking with its original format. And like a James Bond movie, one tunes into spooks each week knowing exactly what you're going to get, even as you wait for another inevitable death scene. Next week, Timothy Spall. He's currently seen in cinemas playing Winston Churchill in The King's Speech. He's Voldemort's lackey. Should I say right-hand man, or is that in bad taste? Uh, (laughs) Peter Pettigrew in the Harry Potter series. And he's been in many TV dramas over the years. 
So I give you Timothy Spall. We'll probably talk about his son, Rafe, as well in show 70. You're a fan of Rafe, right? I do like Rafe. Okay, we'll talk about Rafe and Timothy. He just makes me smile when I see him on screen. He does. He conveys joy and happiness very, very well. I, I got a very nice email from a reader in London today, and he was like, do you know about BBC Radio? And the, the many shows began on radio. And I just had to apologize and says, I just, there's not enough hours a day for me to enjoy all the really good BBC radio that's out there. And I know it's there. I know you listen, I listen to quite to a bit. I listen to some in my car, yeah. I've got a friend who's diehard Just a Minute fan. She listens to it every week. Uh, I think you can subscribe to a lot of uh, BBC shows on iTunes. You can just download them and listen to them like you, do it, you, like you would this podcast. But for me, life's too short. I can't watch and see everything that I want to. And unfortunately, radio is one of those things that falls by the wayside. But I know it's out there and I know there's great stuff out there. Yeah, I've got all of Milton Jones. He's been doing radio forever. And I have all 20 episodes of the Masterson's Inheritance, which is still one of my favorite radio things ever. I do listen to some certain books on tape. If there's a guest I really like on Elaine Page's Sunday show, I'll, I'll listen to that. I don't save them forever, but I'll just sort of record them on a re-recordable th- source and listen to it that way. And we should remind people that anything that plays on... BBC Radio is available on the iPlayer anywhere in the world for seven days. Unlike the TV, which is all, yeah. of course, blocked. Unless you're Russell Brand. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, we'd like you to go to our website, www.britishtvpodcast.com, and there you can find links to headlines, show notes, what's on TV this week, and an archive of our previous 68 shows. And you can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash podcast. And you can send us the lovely feedback, too. We'd love to hear from you. And that's feedback at BritishTVPodcast.com. So, yeah, and or our Facebook. Someone asked me about Land Girls, and I said, well, first I hadn't caught it was going to be on, because I don't check all the listings. Sorry, folks, but shows that are on the afternoon sometimes fly by me. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've got stuff to watch this week. I, I watched episode two of Hustle, but I haven't watched three yet, and there'll be another one on this week. Gotta watch Being Human, and I got the first series, which was only three episodes of Getting On with Joe Brand. Thought it would be kind of interesting to watch. I have... Have you followed the thick of it? No. It's very much that style. It is directed by Peter Capaldi. Yeah, and he's in it too, I hear. Oh, I didn't see him in any of the episodes. Mm -hmm. Well, he was listed on the... where I found it, that he was in it, so we'll see if that's so, but... But it's very much that's the genre yeah, of, of I program. saw a clip of it and it looked good, so I thought I wanted to track it down. Capaldi also won a British Comedy Award as well. Mm. well. He deserves all the awards they can give him. Yes. He's so good. I enjoyed our show that we did on him, and I'm always excited when I see him in something. It's a shame they can't bring him back in Torchwood. Oh, well. I'm actually caught up right now. need to watch uh, this week's Shameless, but other than that, I, I really put the pedal to the metal to because I, I basically keep a running list of what I need to watch, what I need to watch, what I need to watch, and... Let some things slide, American things, and like I say, manage to sneak out and see a movie this week, and I definitely would recommend The King's Speech. It's really good. So thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.